Welcome to Pursuit of Justice. I'm Lise Wheel. Well, one person that you think of first and foremost when you think about justice is Honest Abe Lincoln. Yes, uh, Honest Abe, who of course was our one of our major presidents. You think about the Emancipation Proclamation, President Lincoln. Um, what you think less about him, uh, or secondarily about him, I guess is, is the proper way of saying is, is as a trial lawyer. Um, but Lincoln was involved in a, more than 3,000 trials, um, as primarily as a defense lawyer, and many of those cases were murder trials. Um, you know, he was from Springfield, Illinois, uh, from very humble beginnings. You know, there are many pictures that we've seen of him, you know, struggling pretty much uh, with lamplight, all of that kind of thing. And there are very few um, uh, transcripts, though, that we've had of him or we've actually been able to see the words that he used uh, when he was in those trials. And, of course, we know him as a great orator, you know, the, the words that he used uh, the, when, when we do have transcripts transcripts of him are mostly from his days as a president or giving speeches as a president. Well, my friend here at uh, Law and Crime at, uh, has, has written a book that's just coming out now called Lincoln's Last Trial, the murder case that propelled him to the presidency. So Dan, it is, I'm, I'm so glad to have you here on The Pursuit of Justice with your brand new book out, Lincoln's Last Trial, the murder case that propelled him to the presidency. Um, you know, we think of him obviously first and foremost as our greatest, one of our greatest presidents, and secondly as a trial lawyer, but you really focus on him as a trial lawyer here. Tell us what sparked your interest in this, uh, in this, in this last trial, his last murder trial. Well, what's kind of amazing about this case is that this is nine months before he gets the Republican nomination. Um, so he's still trying cases. Um, and um, this was a high-profile case, but what makes it so interesting is it's the only case um, that Lincoln ever argued where there's a full transcript, about 100 pages, hand-transcribed in 1859, and it was only discovered in 1989. And so that's part of what makes this so interesting, is you have a really compelling murder case, but you have... Um, a full transcript of Lincoln for the defense. And so we hear Lincoln's own words. We see them on the on the page. Right. Uh, why did he take this case? I mean, he was he really had a lot to lose, didn't he, in taking this case? Yeah, a lot uh, at this time in right. his career. It was also a case where most people in the community wanted a conviction. Um, so I think he took this case for two reasons. Um, first of all, his former law partner and friend, um, had asked him to take it, um, and who was also on the defense team. Um, and secondly, he had a relationship with the family of the defendant uh, to some degree. Um, they had been, you know, they had a, a family connection through marriage. They had also um, uh, been friends over time. Um, and um, I think in the end, he thought that this defendant shouldn't be charged with murder. I mean, Lincoln was one of these people who really did decide on whether to take a case in uh, part, large part, based on whether he believed in it. You mentioned a moment ago about the transcript. 
And I love how this book is written with the transcript really interspersed. It isn't it isn't as if you as if you read page by page and there's a long you know transcript that you've got to go through. It really makes this book is written as as a, a very live document. And I just want to go to one page, page one thirty one, where it goes through a cross examination. And Lincoln has got a, a witness on the stand. And of course, the issue here is is whether this was self defense or not. And he's got a witness on the stand. And it just in very very qu quickly he says. Um, Lincoln then asked casually but in a firm tone that landed somewhere between a question and a statement, so you did not see the knife when the blow was given. I did not see the knife go into him. Lincoln hesitated for a moment, looking down at, the, at his table, as if to examine a document that was not there. I mean, it's just great. This is interspersing the transcript of what he actually said and the movements of the man there and the witness on the stand. You, it takes you right into the, into the courtroom right now in 2018. Yeah, and, and um, you know, that was the sort of level of detail. I mean, to have all of Lincoln's actual words over a course of 100 pages mm -hmm. um, is amazing. And the fact that it was only recently discovered as well. So yeah, the goal was to take people inside the courtroom uh, so people would feel like uh, they were uh, they were there again. Um, and you know, a lawyer today would recognize a courtroom of 1859. They might wonder what the spittoons were doing there, but um, <laughs> oh yes, yeah, but yeah, they, probably yeah, but they but they would they would they would still recognize uh, the courtroom and the laws that existed at the time. Yeah, you mentioned early in the book that self-defense, for example, that mm -hmm. hasn't changed that much. The laws haven't changed that much. Um, there's some wonderful illustrations for those of you who haven't picked up the book yet. Take a look when you're, you know, there's some wonderful illustrations who there. Who doesn't love pictures and illustrations you gotta, in a book? Yeah, you know? I'm, I'm I mean, sorry, you gotta have yes. some pictures in a book. And actually, one, uh, there's one or two in there, at least one, which is an original that has never been uh, published before, um, which we were able to get from a family member of the uh, defendant, sort of a descendant of the defendant who shared with us a picture of Lincoln, um, a drawing of Lincoln with, uh, I think it was George Harrison, who was a cousin of the defendant in this case, wow. in uh, serving in the war together. Tell us a bit about, <clears throat> about your protagonist. His name is Robert Hitt, and he was the transcriber. He was the one who, who wrote down every word, who sat in court every day. Um, you know, there's a great anecdote. He was the one who, um, who did the Lincoln-Douglas uh, debates as well for Lincoln, and actually for a newspaper. And at one point, I think it was the second <clears throat> Lincoln-Douglas debate, Lincoln refused to start until Hitt arrived. So literally, Hitt was there, and they had to sort of bring him from the back of the room because Lincoln wanted him right there in the front. Um, so It was as if he knew, Lincoln that is, that Dan Abrams, years later, yes, exactly. would need this yes. transcript. <laughs> yes, no, so, so Hitt, was a, Hitt was an important person uh, to Lincoln in what was a relatively new field uh, because transcriptions weren't something that people did. I mean, the right. fact that, this, that, this, uh. that, that any trial was transcribed in 1859 was rare. And this was a sign of a family that had money. Money, the defendant um, had money, That right. they could pay for someone to come in and transcribe it and potentially use it if he was convicted. For an appeal. Yeah. Now, because it, in the, in, usually in appeals, they would just be based on memory. 
Right. And notes, and there was no documents to say, well, this was said in court, et cetera. Oh, which could also lead, maybe if you had a star witness that you didn't really want around for an appeal. Yeah, mm. I mean, it, it, you know, but the, you know. Having, having the transcripts, uh, you know, they didn't, you know, having the transcript uh, could nice change to, everything. Yeah, a nice way to keep a star witness around in nowadays life. I mean, just look how my mind goes. See, but this is our problem, Dan, yeah, 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 with yeah, law yeah. and crime. You're not even, you're not even I, getting I how my get, mind, I, I, I you don't even get, get how my mind I'm not, goes. I'm not getting the high profile. When that's how you get them to stick around? Yeah, Dan. What do you mean? You know, Dan, come on. You're, you, you mean because there's a transcript? Yeah, because, you know, if in in those days, if you had a witness you didn't want to, you know, and you didn't want them to appear in any appeal, and there was nothing, there was no transcript, and, you know. Oh, you mean you could just make them disappear? Yeah. Right, Come right. on, you're, you run law and crime. Right, right, right. You know, come right. on, you're the law and it's crime kind of a guy. bizarre conspiratorial uh, on, sort of theory. but Dad, yeah, but God, uh, come on, um, work with me here. Yeah, all right, I get it, I get <laughs> it now. It took me for a second. I just wanted to make sure that yeah. I, I understood. You run law and crime I actually crime did network. understand it. It didn't make sense to start with. And oh, so, gosh, you know. you know. Do I have to spell it out? I yes, guess I no, did I got it. No, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. Boy, I mean, I guess I'm more conspiratorial than you are. I guess you are, yeah. this is a little scary. Yeah. Well, I just did finish hunting Charles Manson, so which right. is also coming out right today. when when is that is that today yeah. uh, tomorrow yes okay it's coming out the same time your book is yeah well I'll tell you yeah. I remember being at Manson's parole hearing and oh, yeah. uh, you know that was a wild I mean it was literally ten people in the room or maybe it was twelve I was the sole media representative really? for that particular hearing yeah. Oh, tell and us about that. Let's skip to that. Yeah, exactly. You're like, forget <laughs> Lincoln. Forget Did Lincoln. I mention that I have a uh, book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wait a second. Wait a second. That's I coming, have a book? Yeah, that's coming out this week. Manson, yes, yes. Same week? <laughs> yeah, forget Lincoln. Lincoln, um, yeah. Lincoln. So, so, yeah. So I was in the deserts of California at, um, I forget the name of the prison where you would probably know where, where Manson was being held at the well, time. A couple of different okay. ones, yeah. So it, this they, was probably... They moved that guy around. This was probably 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it's, it's age, you know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so you were a lot... They, the media, you were 10 at the time. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> child, the, child, work, the, child worker. The media uh, was allowed one representative, and I was the you know the pool, in effect. Are you, I did and not so, know this. Yeah. You were telling so me something I, I did not know about I was I was at Court TV at the time, and I and Court TV was covering the Manson parole hearing. And, um, you know, he would sort of at times be lucid and at other times be spouting off all sorts of right, nonsense. Of course, yes. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he was a very small guy. I mean, like yes. sort of what was striking yes. is how... Yes. How small and obviously yep. he'd been in prison for a, a while sh- at that shrunk, point, but yes. he was the record. He was yeah, he was, yeah. but he was clearly never big. No, um, right. and um, and obviously he didn't uh, he didn't get paroles. It was a bit of uh, of theater. Um, I for think him. that may have been the last hearing he had because he he, he had a few. We we covered a bunch of court TV. even after that. I don't remember because this was I don't remember because the time in, in later years he just didn't right. even, he didn't respond to any. Right, he didn't show right. up. Obviously he didn't show up. But, he but didn't this even was this was uh, this would have been the mid nineties. Wow, that's incredible. So. Um, did, did you sense anything about him other than he was small when you were in the room? Like any because sort of the charisma that anybody everybody talks you know, about. Look, any it's of hard. That? It's hard to to judge that because at this point he's a prisoner. Um, right. He's still sort been. of speaking with a level of of confidence, and he didn't seem to care. Mm-hmm. Um, he, knew, he knew he knew he wasn't getting parole. Right. Um, he wasn't. You know, this wasn't Leslie Van Houten. Uh, mm-hmm. Where she was really making this is one of Manson's followers right. who 
was making a true appeal, family. yeah, for for parole. He was, you know, he was he was in the, he was engaging in theater. He knew that this would be t- this was televised. He knew the world was watching, or at least a lot of people mm-hmm. in the country. And I think he was just enjoying himself. Yeah, pu- I mean, pure evil. The more yeah. that I, I mean, I spent almost two years researching not just Manson, but the whole. The whole, you know, all the followers and the people in the family, and I yeah. went there and spent a lot of time in L- L.A. area and went to all the different locations. Did you think everything. Leslie Van Houten should have been released? No, really? I don't think any of them should be released. Mm. No, Mm-mm. I mean, but I'm pretty hard nosed about that stuff, as you know from my prosecutorial. Yeah, prosecutor but, but you know, I think that that yeah, you I mean, do? They, they just defe- well, look, if there's such thing as parole, if there's mm-hmm. such thing as there was no better candidate. For someone who rehabilitated her life, who was doing good things, who had condemned her private, her previous life, who accepted responsibility for what she did. Basically, she checked off every single box you could check off. And if the answer is that doesn't matter, um, you know, then then there's no reason in even having parole. That, that, okay. I mean, so, yeah, so yeah. that would just be, you know... Um, my case would be to say, if you're going to have parole... If you're going to have it, right. Leslie Van Houten should get it. Uh, but I get it. It's not, it's not as if I, uh, I don't understand why the family members and the former prosecutor would come in every hearing to try to prevent her from getting parole. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things that really sold me on, on, on writing a whole book as, as opposed to just writing a long magazine article was going to the last parole hearing of Tex Watson, Charles Tex yeah. Watson, mm-hmm. the guy who actually wielded yeah. the you know knife and actually murdered. I mean, right. Charles Manson didn't actually physically right. murder them. Um, Sharon Tate and the rest, the LaBiancas, and hearing him, uh, pure evil. That man, I mean, just cannot be rehabilitated. Hearing him and seeing Deborah Tate and all the other victims, family members just going year after year. I was the only um, media person in attendance at that. Going year after year after year to these parole hearings and the pain that they're in still all these years later. Yeah. Um, Look, and, and, just, and I don't view him as a close call, right? I right. Mean, in fact, I don't view any of the others. Um, right. You know, it just, she was... If you're gonna, if you're gonna sort of put it into the comparative relative scale, she was different um, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, what she did. Um, and uh, but look, you know, there are plenty of people who've done what she did who don't aren't eligible for parole. Right, so. and don't forget that uh, all of them were sentenced to to death right. until mm-hmm. California said death is, you know, the. Uh, unconstitutional right. in our state, and they revised that and yeah. put them on. Were they you know, all? It was every one of the family members. I believe so. Them? Yeah, mm-hmm. believe so. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I knew Manson know, was, and that, yeah, yeah, all of them were. But yeah. but but and 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 that may have been too harsh, but because all of California, really all the country, yeah, see, was just view, absolutely see, look, in I, a state I, of. I, I don't view Manson getting sentenced to death as too harsh. I mean, I'm one of these people who supports the death penalty in limited cases and they have to be for the worst of the worst and right. not just a garden variety murder case because my concern is prosecutors use it too often but I'm not opposed to the death penalty as a matter of course and I think Manson's a perfect candidate for it. Yeah, well he's he's gone yeah, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's uh yeah, in yeah. somewhere horrible yes, I hope. Exactly. Um, but back to Lincoln's last trial 
and uh, and 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 then the subtitle is the murder case that propelled him to the presidency. How did this case? I mean, that's fascinating to me. How do you think this case, um, as as a thematic as a thematic um, instance, propelled him to the presidency? I'd say two two ways. Number one is that he was not a big national figure leading it, even nine months before he got the Republican really? nomination. He was a well-known, uh, prominent lawyer in the West, as it was called back then. Back then this is yeah, in Springfield, yeah. Illinois, yeah, exactly. right, where this um, happened, where the trial happened. This was his hometown. Correct, correct. And so he was uh, well-known there. He'd run for uh, Senate. He'd run for other political office, um, um, mostly unsuccessfully. Um, and so... Wait, i got to stop you for a second. It's hard to imagine, everyone, uh, to think of Abe Lincoln as a failed politician yeah, when, yeah. You think of all, when you think of who's out there today. Yeah, yeah. Abe Lincoln, but anyway, I digress. He wasn't a failure because part of the way that, that these elections worked was um, uh, based on uh, state legislatures nominating candidates and having to work politics behind the scenes, et cetera. And Lincoln was never that kind of player. Right. He was not a sort of a guy who could be as good at, the, uh, yeah, at, at sort right. of, yeah, playing right. the game. Right. He wasn't like that. But he was on a stage. He was, yes. He no. And, and he, but he, but, he, but, and I think that that's, that, that really is uh, what he was. And uh, mm. so, so nine months before, and this trial was, was widely covered. Um, I think that, that, um, that helped his profile. Um, the fact that by the end of the case, I think a lot of people were um, viewed had changed of mm -hmm. what they believed the outcome should be. I think it cemented him as one of the nation's uh, uh, great lawyers. Um, and I think that he had everything to lose by taking it. Um, and that if he had lost this case, I think it you know, or, you know, had been viewed in a negative way, I think this could have scotched his, his efforts at, um, at present. And look, and I think he was thinking about it in the back of his mind at the time. Um, he was being asked to speak around the country. Um, just was the beginning of those requests were coming in beyond sort of the local uh, requests. He was being asked to speak in New York for the first time, etc. Um, so I think that, um, I think he had everything to lose and that this case was his final hurrah as an attorney that I think uh, helped position him for the presidency. Mm. You spent so much time working on this and writing on this and collaborating on this. Uh, you had one image of, of Abraham Lincoln, I'm sure, going into it and another image coming out. How has your view of Abraham Lincoln changed, if at all? I think, I think the biggest thing is understanding uh, him as an attorney. I think that um, digging in and um, seeing the whole uh, range of kinds of cases that he argued, how he dealt with it, how he decided which cases to take, um, he really was principled. Um, he, he wouldn't take cases if he really didn't believe in it. He didn't charge people if they didn't have money. Um, you know, if there were more lawyers like Abraham Lincoln today, I think lawyers would have a much better reputation. Um, and it used to be back then that people were excited when the lawyers came to town. I mean, there was, there was a traveling group is what would happen is they would basically take this whole group of people, the lawyers, the judge, they'd all go from county to county um, on a circuit. And when they would arrive, people who needed legal help would be waiting 
and say, hey, you know, I need a divorce or I need this guy stole my land or whatever the case may be. And they were, you know, pleased that the advocates were there to to represent them. Unlike now, when lawyers arrive in town, everyone wants <laughs> like, to leave. Ooh, yeah, 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 get away from me. to get out. Yeah. <laughs> wow, how times have changed. Yep. Honest, Abe. Wow. What is next for you, my friend? Well, uh, next uh, is getting the uh, getting the word out about the book. Understood. And uh, we will have another book to ah, announce. Um, okay. At, that's uh, what I'm getting at. Sometime, uh, sometime in the uh, in the near future. Okay. Um, so that's exciting. In the meantime, um, you know, I've got Law and Crime Network. Law and Crime, yes. ABC News. I've got Live PD on A&E and, uh, and Mediate and Mary Sue. And so it's definitely got enough to do. Oh, yes. You are busy. Yeah, 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 I see. Yep. I'm here at Law and Crime, and I will And we test. love having you at Law and Crime. Oh, you good. Know? Thank you. We love you. having you at Law and Crime. Well, I'm very happy here with, and with Pursuit of Justice and this podcast and everything. And good so. luck with your book. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's it's a lot of fun and and uh, and writing is an amazing as an amazing work product and and project, but it is so it's so gratifying when it comes out and you just see it and it's just like you just want to share with people. What number book is this for you? 18. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, congratulations. Thanks and congratulations yeah. to you. Thanks, Lise. All right. Take care, Dan. Bye. See you on the other side. <laughs> Bye. Wow, that was so interesting to hear from Dan and about Lincoln's last trial, the murder case that really propelled him to the presidency. You know, Honest Abe did not need to take that case. In fact, it really held a lot of danger to him to take that case. For if he had lost that case, that murder case, it would have sunk any chances that he had to become our president. When that, I think for most, most of us believe that that would have been a very sad thing. It would have changed, of course, the course of our um, American history, uh, really. And I think uh, uh, many of us believe, and I certainly believe, for the worse. Um, and, I, and our history would have changed for the worse. So I'm, I really enjoyed reading the book. Um, I quoted a little bit to you uh, from the book. You should really pick it up. And, and the thing is that the transcript is not just thrown at you in the book. It really is salt and peppered throughout the book. And, and a book really reads like a thriller. And it was interesting to me, because I didn't know this when I brought Dan in to talk about his book, that he'd actually been at one of Charles Manson's parole hearings. Um, and when he saw my book, Hunting Charles Manson, which is just out as well this week, that he, he saw that and said, oh, well, I was at one of Charles Manson's parole hearings. So the conversation just kind of segued into Hunting Charles Manson this book that I have out this week. And I found that fascinating that he'd actually been at, at this hearing. We got to talking about the parole hearing that I'd been at, Tex Watson, the guy that actually committed the, uh, the murders. Um, and one of the reasons that I got so involved in the research and the work for Hunting Charles Manson was I, I wanted, you know, we're talking about history this week and the, and the quest for justice. Um, I wanted to try to see, you know, to study history, I believe, is one way that you can try to um, educate yourself so that we don't keep repeating history, right? If, if we study it, then we, it's one way that we can try not to repeat it. You know, if we, if we learn about what happened in the past, we can learn the good things, right? So we want, to, we want to repeat those, but we can also learn about the mistakes that have been made, the things that we don't want to repeat. Like right now, for example, we have this Keith Rainier guy 
right, who recruited this Allison Mack out of Smallville, notoriety, remember her. She's just been arrested, as with Keith Rainier. They're now looking at charges. They have been charged, and they're looking at a trial that's going to go on later this summer or this fall. They're charged with, you know, having this sex ring. They literally branded, allegedly branded these women um, and are, you know, sold them as sex slaves after Keith Rainier had, you know, forced them to have sex with him. I mean, it gets all ugly, and Allison Mack was involved of selling them as, as sex slaves. And the idea is, is being sort of like a Manson kind of playbook where they bring these young women in, as as Manson did. He, would, he had this bus uh, when he was on parole from multiple... Uh, felonies. On this uh, bus, he drove up from L.A. through to uh, the Bay Area, San Francisco. And along the way, he would collect young women, you know, 17 through your mid-20s, um, 14, as young as 14. They were people, you know, some of them were topless dancers or whatever, but other, another one was an insurance clerk, a librarian, um, you know, the, the daughter of Angela Lansbury, you know, the, the actress. I mean, Women, young girls from all different walks of life. He would sort of collect them, and and he was charming and charismatic and all of that in back in the day. And he would bring them in to, for sex and drugs and rock and roll, and and it was sort of a love and hippie kind of thing. And same sort of with Keith Rainier. It was sort of, oh, I want us a betterment kind of organization, and we want to be better and help ourselves and all this kind of lovey-dovey stuff. Anyway, bring them in under that guise, get them there, and in that layer, once they're there, and sort of brainwashing them, how much do you love me? Won't you be part of my, won't you be, a part, don't you, I'll be like a finger on my hand. You know, don't you trust me? Won't you, won't you die for me? All These are literally the questions that Manson used, right? These are part of his playbook. Um, and Keith Rainier and his ilk, I'm just using him as the latest example because it's so recent. It's in 2018. History repeating itself. Once they're brought into the lair, then the 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 Manson type, the Rainier type, then they get nasty. Then the branding starts. Then the self degradation starts. Then the you're you're worthless. You're you're a piece of you know what. Then all of that starts. You know, once the one girl tried to leave in Manson's um, in Manson's family, um, I think it was Leslie Van Houten actually. Um, Deb was talking about her earlier. And he drove her to a cliff and said, you might as well jump off the cliff if, if you're going to try to leave me. I mean, they scare these girls into staying. They're afraid to go back to their family because of the shame, all of this kind of stuff. It's the same playbook, people. It's the same playbook back in 1969 that people are using again and again and again. We need to learn from history. That's why we study it. So we don't repeat the same mistakes. That's why we study it, so we learn, so we don't repeat the same mistakes. So we had a little bit of a history lesson today from uh, Lincoln's last trial to hunting Charles Manson, the quest for justice in the days of Helter Skelter. Uh, I'm Lise Wheel. This has been The Pursuit of Justice. Till next time, be good.